security and protection is a preventative measure and it's not a reactive solution to post-incident. There's ways that you need to react to things, but that's companies, individuals having the foresight to do the risk assessments, understand the threats, understand where their vulnerabilities are, and putting controls in place to be able to identify possible threats before you have an incident. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Liam Ryan, CEO of GM Risk Group. GM Risk Group is a global risk and threat mitigation firm with their head office based in Sydney, Australia. Other entities include United States of America and the Netherlands. They provide tailored intelligence, security risk and threat mitigation solutions to clientele both domestic and abroad. Today, we're discussing your recent deployment to the Ukraine and to understand more about your time over there. So Liam, thanks for joining. I know it's been a little bit of time since we've talked about doing this interview, but I'm glad that you're here today because I want to get some answers. Quick caveat as well. I know that certain things you can't talk about because it's classified. So again, I'm happy for you to say that that's classified. But again, it's always my job to push the envelope as much as possible. Sounds good. It's great to finally catch up. So I'm keen to understand and I want to start with like, how did you get involved? Like, how did this whole conversation like come about? So GM Risk Group uh, as a service provider, uh, we have analysts that look at global events and we, we monitor situations around the globe for different clientele. And as the situation developed over in Ukraine, we had clients who had interest in the area. So we continued providing the, the analysis of the, the situation. And then we progress through to the risk assessments and operational planning, logistics, emergency management, evacuations as well for, for clients. So initially it was uh, just the fact finding and the an intelligence section of, of the, the task. Uh, and then that rolled out to having teams on the ground of uh, advisors, ops managers, and Intel analysts that continued up until today. So we, we've been in country since since January. Wow. Okay. So, and I'm guessing, you know, you've still got a team of people there at the moment. We do, but we've still got teams out in the field, but they're spread right across the country and they they do different tasks, but can't really talk about exactly where they are and what they're doing at the moment. But uh, yeah, we, we still have teams spread out across the country. Gotcha. Okay. So, Obviously, because of what you do for work, it makes sense that you sort of got involved in heading over to the Ukraine. So talk to me a little bit more about this, because I mean, this quite heavily came out in February, everything sort of started quite intensely. So what does that sort of look like? Can you sort of explain a little bit more about like the thinking, what was going through your mind? Obviously, yes, you do this day in, day out. So it's maybe not as scary for you, but you know, maybe give a little bit of insight for our listeners that perhaps are not aware of hearing it from your perspective. Yeah, sure. So I went over myself in January, which was before it kicked off, which was well, kicked off again, which was late February. So in the early stages of, of January, I flew into Kiev and then I headed over to the Donbass region over on the east just to verify information that we had and just to get better situational awareness of things, some ground truths of what was actually happening. 
And so I, I, I sort of conducted those recce's as we would call it. So we could gather the information we needed to be able to put plans together for our clients who were interested in, in traveling to the region. But I, I was on the ground and as things sort of started to intensify and, and things started coming out in the, the press, the media and the sort of imminent threat of the, the Russian in, in invasion, things changed a, a lot on the ground and it was actually although we we do do this in globally and we have done it for a long time uh, working with high risk and, and conflict zones the the arena was a little bit different from the the last sort of 10 years that has been more sort of middle east focused but so this is a little bit of a different conflict and and watching the the ukrainians prepare for it was uh, something different so the definitely the mood throughout the the, the city the, in kiev itself which was a little bit separated at that point in time from the, the front line per se over in the east. But as that escalated and they started to put in roadblocks and checkpoints and, and start to lock down on, on movements, the, the, the sort of the dynamics of the, the, the situation really changed and until the, the late February when it, the strikes started happening and then it sort of ramped up again from there. And so just for clarification, Liam, a recce is reconnaissance? Correct. So I guess that's a bit of an industry catchphrase, but yeah, reconnaissance. So it's a gathering information. So we, we have information that comes in from different sources, but going out into the field so I can verify that information is correct and, and we can give some perspective of and context of what's actually happening on the ground. Right. Okay. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's just so for people listening, just to ensure we're on the same page. Okay. So when sure. you, okay, so you got there on the ground. What was sort of going through your mind then? Because, you know, we're sort of, as listeners and people watching social media and the media, like how close are they when they represent what's happening? Like I'm curious to get into that, but then I'm really, Mm. I want to understand from your mind and your lens and then sort of marry them up. So you're... So you get to the Ukraine and like you said, they're they're putting the the road closures and roadblocks and those types of things. Is that quite surreal? Like, have you obvious, like, how intense was this then for you as an individual? There's a lot going on in those those early stages. And from my perspective and what I'm doing when I'm there is to elaborate, I guess, a little bit more about the verifying of the, the ground truths and, and what's actually taking place and, and looking at reports that the media are putting out and the messages that are getting pushed out to the not just the immediate community but to, to the global community as well but really trying to sort of navigate your way through the the amount of information that comes out and give it some context as to how real is it you know and is there a a narrative behind the information as well so in order to to do that we look at sources of information and we try to look at it through a non-biased lens for, for the purpose of trying to see different perspectives and, and understand motivations from, from both sides. And that allows us to get a better understanding and gives context to information that's coming out if it's propaganda to support a motive of a threat actor or if it's also a, a factual report of what's happening on the ground. So at those early stages, you just absorbing lots of information from from many sources and just trying to verify exactly what's going on. And 
as that sort of plays out, like there's a lot of reports that come out that, that, that are factual with journalism and it's you know, a true reflection of what's happening on the ground. But the, the battle space there is vast. It covers a, a great distance geographically. And, and I think you know, with social media these days and the, the amount of information and, and opinions that, that, that flow on from information that comes out, that that's where the, sort of the translation gets lost a bit. You know, but you have 100% there's propaganda and that, that comes from both sides. And so the, the Russians use it, but the, the West uses it as well uh, to build the morale and support the cause that they're, they're representing. And misinformation is another one that, that is used as a, essentially a, a weapon to, to cause fear and unrest within communities and that, that gets used effectively. But I also think that there's, there's information that comes out and that they are true pieces as such. But if people don't take the time to understand the context, sometimes it, it can get lost in translation a bit. Yeah, that makes total sense. I'm hearing what you're saying. Okay, so there's a couple of things in there. You said a non-biased lens. Try not to apply a non-biased lens. How do you do that effectively? I guess through through practice like anything you need to sort of try to separate the emotion from from the, the task that you're doing because if you get too emotionally attached a particular side or job that you you may miss the uh, the understanding the from someone else's perspective which then discloses their motivations which will then feeds into your your threat assessments to understand what would be beneficial for them. So if you get too emotionally attached to something, but sometimes you can miss those, those little details. So it's really about stepping back uh, and objectively looking at the situation and looking at it from both sides and, and, and how does that play out essentially. So it's just taking that step back and trying to look at it from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, sure. Okay. I understand what you're saying. And then you mentioned before around people sort of pushing a narrative. Would you say that that's quite common? So when you're getting like, you're getting intel and you've got all this bits of information, as you said, and you mentioned before, there was quite a lot of it, which is fair enough. Are you sort of, or can you confirm, uh, are more people being truthful and factual with their, their tips and their intel? Or would you say if you had to sort of wait at more people or more like trying to deter and throw you off and propaganda and misinformation and pushing an agenda is it equal is one weighted more than the other or like can you sort of give a barometer on this so i think there's different levels to that uh, as well and it's really dependent on the source of the information that you're receiving and uh, so for us uh, when we're on the ground uh, where we certainly read media pieces but where we also are looking at uh factual turns of events, territory gained, what sort of damage was sustained. When we look at what damage was sustained, we can look at weapon systems and you sort of can reverse engineer what's happening on the ground to understand the, what the, the threats are. And that, sort of, that, that source of information is uh, just factual from uh, events that have taken place on the ground. You sort of uh, layer up from there and you have different uh, organizations and NGOs that are still reporting on the situation. Then you've got from uh, government's points of views or humanitarian points of view as well. 
So d- depending on what the, the NGOs are there to support, they have different pieces of, of information. When we sort of then scale up again that, and looking at information that's meant to push out for, to the masses, that's where it, it starts to get a bit diluted. You do have mainstream media that you, you do have factual uh, reports of what's happening. But even within that, that mainstream media, you do have biases to, to the, the situation. But that's in that space with social media and the, the mainstream media where they can push out to the masses, that's where the, the misinformation really has effect. And it's for, at that more granular level of people who are receiving information but don't have the, the ground truths or the verified information that can substantiate anything that they're reading. So that, that's where the, the, the breakdown normally occurs. Yeah, okay, that is, that's really interesting. So I want to get into this a little bit more. So would you say based on what you were reading, and I understand some things, yes, a little bit more closer to it because like you mentioned, depending on what angle someone's coming from, but how close to reality is what was being said in the media versus what you were experiencing? Like were they, was it pretty off the map or was it like, yeah, actually, okay, that, you know, there's some validity to that. And I, of course it depends, depends on which news outlet or whatever it is. What would you say as a rule of thumb, majority of people got the reality of what was happening correct or would you say not really? I, I think for the, the, the vast majority, not really. I think it's, there's certainly a community of people out there who are, are very well-versed in the situation and, and what's been happening. You, you do get reports that come through for the mainstream media that, that are factual to turn events, but the, the way that it gains momentum and, and coverage and then it will drop off for a while and then mainstream media picks it back up again. But this conflict's been going on uh, since 2014. There's not a, a great deal of reporting that's actually on the, the, the front line as such. The, you know, the, the mainstream media is a sort of a couple of layers back. And I think because of the, the way that it fluctuates in its space on mainstream news and, and the, the time spaces, that people think that just because it hasn't been on the news that it's, it's not happening and that things have settled down. And so... The consistency in the reporting is where a sort of a, a disparency happens of what people think is actually happening on the ground. So I think their the reporting is accurate at the time of when they report it, but there's big gaps in between that I think causes a, a sort of a, a, a consistent understanding of what's happening on the ground. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's that philosophy of out of sight, out of mind. Some people aren't watching it, yeah. reading it. They're like, oh, it's not happening, which may not be the case, especially not for this one. So, Correct. Okay, yeah. so that okay, this is really interesting. And you are right. And I think when social media came out, like more probably prevalent in the last decade or so, it's even allowed, like you were sort of saying, like someone who has an opinion on something. But then someone may have an opinion on something, which is absolutely fine. Everyone's entitled to that. But they might not have any real idea about what's happening at all. So do you think that's sort of worrying? So, for example, I see something on the news. I'm, you know, not an expert in whatever area. And then I start having an opinion. But then my opinion may then, people may then buy into that, right? So then I guess that's why people are now worried about fake news and, you know, clickbait content and everything like that. So how how can people sort of better educate themselves on is this factual? Is this, you know, a little bit airy-fairy? Is this not truthful? 
Do you have any sort of insight on that? Because this something for me is a little bit more worrying because when people say, oh, did you see that thing in the news? And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I buy that story. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this. It's a, it's a very good point. And I think it's, it's very much uncharted territory with the, the way that technology has impacted on, on, on all areas of our lives, really. But the, the way that, like you explained with subject matter experts that have an opinion if they have a, a good following that very quickly misinformation or just an opinion piece rather than factual accounts uh, can very quickly disseminate into the, the wider community that use essentially as the to, to gather public approval for, for things to be happening on the ground. And that's that it's actually used as a, as a weapon, essentially, and that that's where the, the misinformation becomes a, a tool that the, the, the threat actors use to be able to change the behavior of people in the, the areas of operation. But it's not so much about misinformation, but the way that it, in the early days that it, it was quite evident with the way that information was getting pushed out to, to the people and the way that they were acting. When the, the US first announced that they believed that the, the threat was imminent, strike was imminent back in mid-February, the mood within Kiev got uh, really tense. You could see people sort of hurrying around. By that point, they had started locking down the, the, the cities more. And uh, sort of overnight, there were, the media's perspective of it changed and said, oh, that the US are sort of hyping it up. They're, they don't, you know, they're, they're provoking war. And there was the, that turn of the context and the mood completely changed in, in the city because people are, were, there was a sort of a sense of relief, I guess, that the, the, that imminent threat wasn't there. But in reality, none of the, the message that were getting pushed out was reflecting what was happening on the, the front line or where the troops were staging. There was no message getting pushed out about those positions, but the, the message that was getting pushed out the community really controlled the, the way that they behaved. And it was uh, quite interesting to see that. I hadn't seen that sort of impact on, on a large city before. Wow. So what you're saying is what the US media was saying about the Ukraine-Russia situation, obviously they heard about it, and then it impacted their reality then in, in, in Kiev and then changed how they were feeling and how they felt about living there and being Ukrainian. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, essentially. So the, the information was pushed out that they believed that within the next 48 hours there was going to be an imminent strike and there was a sense of panic to, I guess, be a little bit more descriptive. And... Within the sort of 24 hours, there was another sort of wave of information came out that was suggesting that the, the US had overestimated what was going to take place, which in hindsight they hadn't. But once that information came out, it really changed the dynamics that removed the panic and the, the city went back to normal. But then only days after that, they, they, the, the strike started. But it was a really evident in, in the mood of the city that was controlled by the, the messages that were getting pushed out. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example and um, definitely one that goes to show that information does impact people, especially on, on this front. So then, Liam, from your recent experience, what are some of the learnings that you can potentially sort of share? And I know that you obviously can't go into too much detail about certain things, so I'm 
I'm very cognizant of that and I'm sort of stepping around it. But I'm really curious to hear, like, is there anything you can share with the audience about what you've been, you know, going through these last six months and maybe you can tie that back to like more national security and how that ties back to cyber security as well? I think there's obviously always learning outcomes for, from every experience and the, the the environments that you operate in and that being from national security over way over to conflict zones in, in different environments. But the I guess the thing that is sort of prominent and, and I guess from a from a security professional's perspective, the the message that we promote, and I think that this could relate back through to cyber and information security, physical and infrastructure as well. But it's sometimes the the perception of what is required is misinterpreted in the sense of security and protection is a preventative measure, and it's not a reactive solution to to like post post incident. Sure that there's a, there's ways that you need to to react to things, but the, it's companies, individuals having the foresight to do the the risk assessments, understand the threats, understand where their vulnerabilities are, and putting controls in place to be able to fire possible threats be, before you have an incident. In the early stages of the of the conflict, there was a a rush for for people to get in and help and do what they wanted to do. And when things are rushed and steps get missed, they create vulnerabilities and opportunities for the threat actors to to take advantage of that. So it's really just highlights the the importance of, of taking those steps and having those processes and controls in place so that you're not putting yourself or putting clients or civilians and others in a situation that could be avoidable if you were to have those in place. So that's probably the, it's a more of a reinforcement of the, as, a, as opposed to a learning outcome, but something that can translate back through to, to all areas as well. And do you think sort of what's happened with the whole Ukraine-Russia situation would you say, and I appreciate if you, if you can't sort of answer this one, but would you say the government is maybe a little bit more heightened? Because I would say if I look at from a cyber lens about the recent breaches that have been happening, I guess it's been a bit of a wake-up call to corporate Australia, but also to the government as well, which are putting in further measures in place. Do you think that's at the same front then on the, the national security side of things? Yeah, most certainly. And it's... You know, cyber is a, a very rapidly growing area of, for, you know, in, in all aspects and cyber security being a massive part of national security and all, of all of our personal information as well. And I, I think that those recent breaches really support the, the same message of the importance to be approaching personal, national, global security, a preventative lens rather than having a breach, you know, the way that these latest cyber attacks have, and changing legislation and, and the penalty for getting it wrong, but that doesn't really change the, the outcome of the incident of what's already taken place. So it's, it's really important that, that those steps are taken as a preventative measure and we're, we're not consistently just re- reacting to situations. 
So in theory, I guess what you're saying is absolutely correct, having those preventative measures. But I guess when it comes to the practicality, I think that's where some people fall down. Why maybe they don't have the budget, they don't have the resources, they don't have the go-ahead, or they don't have the the notoriety to be able to, to push this. Do you think that this will change, though, over time because of what what's happened on the cyber front in Australia with the breaches? Like even... People internationally are reporting on Australian cyber breaches quite heavily at the moment. And then if you sort of zoom out into earlier in the year with the Ukraine-Russia situation, so do you think that now over time we may see things change or do you think it's still going to to take some time perhaps to to see more people taking these preventative measures? Yeah, I think the the reality that we... There, there are certain preventative measures that can be put in place. Are we going to be able to do it to a point that we are completely ad- adverse to, to threats? Uh, that's not realistic. But the way that the, or the amount of attention that national security gets is probably not, uh, I don't think, uh, vocalised as much as, as it should be, especially with other looming threats to, to uh, Australia's national security with other threat actors in, in the region. and. People have a perception that uh, there's a certain level of uh, security and protection uh, around our personal information and our security, but in reality, that there's there's a lot of vulnerabilities there that uh, that need to be addressed, and it's and I think uh, recent events have highlighted the, the, those vulnerabilities. So you mentioned before that national security isn't really addressed, and you're probably right. So I'm curious to know. What can we do as a solution to raise the bar, raise the awareness? Like what can people start doing on this front from, from your perspective? So this would be a, a complete part of personal opinion. I'm not a, a national security expert, but the message has to come from the top down with regards to what the government is, is putting in place, understanding that the government is elected by the people and people's opinion of of what needs to be done, and that still flows back down through your budgets as well. But the, I think sometimes it, it appears that the head's been buried in the sand from inevitable threats that, that are on the horizon. I did, if, if people are, are naive and just don't want to see the, the signs of times to come, or the, the government doesn't push that information out for national security purposes, but so if there's a breakdown in the education of people to understand why these measures need to be put in place, but it's a, it's a difficult sort of area to navigate. You don't want to cause panic and push out misinformation yourself, but it's a, it's a reality that a lot of people don't see, especially living in Australia where we're geographically blessed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's a company called The Cypher Brief. They're based out of the United States in, in Washington, D.C., and they cover national security quite heavily. So, and I'm speaking to them about a number of things on the cyber front, and they want to understand what's happening in national security in Australia. Uh, and you're right, like there's not that much coverage on it. So would you say from your, again, your opinion, the United States is better at that covering like national security? Because they seem to do a lot more of it. And yes, maybe because they've had more threats than probably Australia has in terms of like 9-11, for example, like they've had to take that, as you said, preventative measure. So do you think that they are doing a better job than Australia at the moment on the awareness front and on the the communication around national security? That's a really good question. Geopolitics is a a very complicated game. And in my opinion, it's everybody's very quick to sort of point the finger of 
misinformation or propaganda from from other countries. In this example, Russia, I'm not endorsing anything to do with it, but as an example, very quick to, to jump on the, uh, they are pushing out all this media to support their, their narrative. The West is good at pushing out messages uh, through media. And, and that historically, that's a media has, has always been used as a, a tool to gather morale. Are they better at it? Then I guess statistically, yes, they are. But do I believe that there's a, a motive behind, you know, do they have an agenda? Sure they do. And that's, there's always the different perspectives of different cultures and, and countries and different ways of life. And it's, there's always that, that, that conflict of who believes that they've got the best setup. But yeah, they're better at it. Yeah, you're right. So do you think Australia has an agenda? I'm not sure if there is a, the agenda from malice. Uh, there's, you know, we're aligned with the West uh, and I believe that that's the right place to be. Australia alone is a, a little country, you know, on the south of the earth that is sort of away from a lot of stuff. So, you know, we need allies like the West. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm with you. And I know that was a tough question to answer, so I appreciate that. So if we... Focus on like looking forward now. Is there anything you can sort of hypothesize that you think is going to happen? And I don't mean like anything catastrophic. I'm more so just going back into preventative measures and, you know, maybe this is a wake-up call for the government or to media companies to, to talk more broadly about national security or whatever it may be. Is there anything that you, you can sort of maybe think as you look forward into the future? What can we expect as Australians and Australian businesses perhaps? So we provide services for, for a number of different sectors and another number of different types of companies, and they all have intricacies of what's important to them. And, you know, I, I think as we, as we move forward that it's inevitable that the attacks will, will increase. Say from the cyber perspective, that it's, it's too profitable for the people who are committing these crimes at the moment and that they're they're able to remain anonymous as such. But so I think that's going to yeah, continue to increase as we see these breaches take place. The, the, the education will, will ultimately flow on from, from those incidents. And, you know, hopefully that the, there can be learning outcomes off the back of those reviews and, and controls implemented moving forward. But, um, it's hard to sort of predict from my perspective and where I sit on things. You know, I'm very focused on solutions for our clients on the ground as opposed to sort of government strategy. But, you know, the message that the governments would then flow on to media, to the general public, is also heavily supported by what's going to get them votes as well. So it's a little bit murky as to... To what you know, some government's motivations are at the time, and if it's a short-term, four-four-year sort of outlook, or if they're they're looking longer term, but it's it's probably a little bit out of my depth to to be talking about government strategy. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think again, I'm just always curious and always mm. uh, trying to push the envelope. So I, sure. yeah, definitely appreciate your time, Liam. And like I said, I know that you couldn't go into too much detail specifically around the Ukraine-Russia situation. But again, I wanted to just bring you on, understand where where, where your 
mind was at with what's happening and really bring light to, you know, maybe some of the misinformation that does get disseminated there and what people can sort of look for and what we can expect moving forward. So I just want to thank you personally for your time and your insights. And I think that, you know, you've given me a couple of things to think about as well, as well as our audience. So thanks very much for coming on the show, Liam. Oh, it's great to talk. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.